Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. It's March 3rd. It's another Monday, and we're looking forward to this broadcast. we got so much going on in the industry, so much going on in the markets, and boy, talk about interesting times in when it comes to what's going on abroad, especially we're talking about the Ukraine. Very interesting. Uh, very excited about the, today's broadcast because we have some dear friends on. We, everyone's a friend that comes to the broadcast here. But we've got Gregory Gregg and Scott Valby, two very w- great guys, vet- mortgage veterans, but are very different in their personalities. But yet they found a way of forging not only a great friendship and a great partnership, but a very successful business. And we're looking at the stress that's going on across the industries with so many companies and so many management teams. And I thought, what a great time to bring two guys that probably couldn't be more different to the radio and share the secrets to their success. Because they weathered the storms. Well, they were together in 18 years. I think it's been 20 since they really connected up. They're still close friends. And when you can have those kind of different personalities doing that and achieving that, I go, man, I want to go to school on this. See, a lot of people say, Dave, why do you pick the guests you have? Because I need them. Andy puts up with me. Andy, the private doctor, he and I are business partners. He puts up with me because my personality and his are about as far apart as Scott's and Greg's. But we're excited to learn what their secrets are. We've got seven years under our partnership between Andy and I. We're got, they got 20 years, so we're always wanting to learn more what's, how to do even what we do better. So that's why we bring them on, is to help you all, help you do what you're doing. Now, in Texas, we get to say y'all and all y'all, so we'll try to avoid that for those up in the Northeast. I want to acknowledge a good friend of mine. Uh, C.J. DeSantis is listening live on the broadcast. He's a new listener. Used to run the fixed income group for all of Merrill Lynch. Now he's out doing entrepreneurial things, exciting things. Good to have him on the broadcast. Many others. There's so many people I could name. If you want to be named on the broadcast, just write me. Let me know that you're a listener. So much fun to hear from you. Also, I want to say excited to have Sam Garcia uh, of Mortgage Daily. We're going to be having his broad his uh, segment on here today. Uh, I'm very excited about this. I've, I've been reading Sam's publication, Mortgage Daily, for some time. I really like the way he writes. I like the way a lot of things he does. It's really nice to see and meet him. So I had a privilege. I called him up. He graciously accepted dinner from the stranger. And we went to dinner, had a great conversation, and we're going to be talking with him a little bit later in the broadcast. In fact, we asked him to pre-record some comments so you can get a little bit of exposure to what he does on his uh, on his publication. Many good publications. Again, remember this. I always started this broadcast was many years ago when I started uh, and wanted to get something going, uh, learn more about what's going on in the industry. I started reading, but my eyes get tired at the end of the day. It's a little dyslexia kicking in there. And I go, there's got to be somebody who writes. But I was an avid reader of Sam's. I always respected his writing style, what he reported on. So very excited to have him on the broadcast. We'll be playing that just here in a few minutes. Joe Farzad out at the Lenders One conference. I've heard from so many there that are at the conference. We'll miss Joe and uh, wish him well. And he said he's going to download and listen later. But anyway, let's talk about what's going on in the markets. Let's see. Oh, a special thank you to Velma, who has become our new marketing partner. They have an email marketing marketing service that, folks, you have just got to get out and get to know this. It is an amazing service. I'm now using it for the radio program. We're about ready to start using it for our consulting business. And based on the response, they handle this so well. Not only that, they have this, this CRM component to their email marketing program that is just about as, uh, about as good at tying the two together. And so we're always looking for ways to get the word out, and especially in these times we're in contracting markets. So I encourage you to get a hold of the folks at Velma. Go to www.velma.com. Very impressive service if you're not exposed to it. Also, a special thank you to United Guarantee calling their attention to the QMI product, which helps companies remain QM compliant. Great service. Thank them for their 50 years of service. Go to their website, ugcorp.com, or go to our website, and you can take a look in the upper right-hand corner. Click on the link and go there. 
Many people, I heard from so many people, said, Dave, I am can't listen live today because we're out at the Lenders One uh, Winter Conference, and so we'll, but we're sure to be downloading and listening to you, but we still have people listening via the computer. By the way, we're noticing more and more people are migrating to listening via the Internet. That's the best way. You have the best audio. Now that then you have the link that you can listen later. Joe Farr's out, so we're not going to have the opportunity to listen to him, but I'll tell you this. He, I talked to him just a little bit ago, and he said that, you know, really last week, you know, with all the economic data that was out, there wasn't a lot of movement until the end of the week, and and the Ukraine was obviously something that started the issues moving on or that's going on in Ukraine. Those are foreign events that can come in and cause for market to react. And typically when you see those kind of things happening, money flows in to our country, safer investments. They go to a flight to quality, and we watch uh, mortgage prices go up and mortgage rates go down. Now, I talked to him today. And he says, you know, it's really interesting, Dave. There isn't as big a reaction this morning as I thought there would be to the events of the Ukraine, what's going on in Ukraine. So he says, go be sure to check out the website, and uh, we'll look forward to that. Again, of course, it's mbsquoteline.com. Alice, let's go ahead and play um, the Sam Garcia's uh, pre-recorded comments and uh, just give you a little smidge of what goes on and you can pick up at Mortgage Daily. Go ahead, Alice. Will do. From Mortgage Daily in Dallas, this is Sam Garcia with a recap of industry news for the week ended February 28, 2014. The full stories from this podcast can be found at www.mortgagedaily.com. The Mortgage Market Index from Loan Sifter and Mortgage Daily, an indicator of new mortgage activity, increased 13% in the week ended February 28th from the week that included the President's Day holiday. Leading the increase were adjustable rate mortgages, which jumped nearly 18%. Conventional refinance volume was down 8% between November and December, the Federal Housing Finance Agency reported. Refinance production has retreated each month since April 2013. In its latest economic forecast, Fannie Mae lifted its estimate of 2013 industry originations and raised its forecast for 2014 and 2015. The GSC no longer sees mortgages outstanding exceeding $10 trillion this year. Fannie reported that its own new business acquisitions fell below $31 billion in January, its slowest month since January 2009. At the same time, serious residential delinquency fell to 2.33%, the lowest level since November 2008. At rival Freddie Mac, purchases and issuances fell to $20 billion, the quietest month since October 2008. 90-day delinquency of 2.34% was the best rate since March 2009. Fourth quarter mortgage originations fell 31% from the third quarter at NationStar Mortgage to $5.5 billion. NationStar had an $86 million pre-tax fourth quarter loss. At Walter Investment Management, fourth quarter mortgage production was reported at $5.3 billion, down 18% from the third quarter. Its servicing portfolio, however, increased to $218 billion from $205 billion three months earlier. Well, that wraps up this week's summary of news headlines at Mortgage Daily. You can find the full text to today's stories at www.mortgagedaily.com. Also, I want to encourage you to go out and listen. Go to that website, and uh, and he actually, Sam actually recorded a longer segment that I was excited to be using, but I was concerned we were going to run out of time, so I wanted to get started with this. And then there's so many things we want to do. You know, folks, I'm looking for always searching the, for the best source of news. We use imfnews.com with uh, Paul Mahler. We dial in, check him out, what he's got to say. We also then pay a lot of attention to the other various things, National Mortgage News. But there's something special about what Sam writes each and every day. He's making it a part of your news source. I appreciate him for taking the time to record that. Sam, good to have you with us and friends of the radio here. Alice, I think that wraps up this segment. Let's go ahead and play the ad, and then let's go on out. We're going to be bringing you in, getting all the thoughts of what's going on in the regulatory world. Economic uncertainty has created a tremendous amount of market volatility for the past few weeks. Intraday price changes seem the rule rather than the exception. Have you been surprised by a midday price change? Have you been frustrated as you locked the loan just ahead of a price movement? Found it difficult to explain to a customer why the rate you quoted is no longer available? MBS Quoline can eliminate these frustrations. MBS Quoline monitors Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginnie Mae mortgage-backed security prices in real time. It makes the information conveniently available on your desktop, smartphone, or by email or text. 
text message. These are the same prices used to set mortgage rates each morning and to issue midday price changes when significant movement occurs. With MBS Quoteline, you'll never be out of touch with the market, whether you're in the office or on the road. See for yourself what MBS Quoteline can do for you. Go to MBSQuoteline.com to start a risk-free two-week trial. MBSQuoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. We appreciate you tuning in and making this a part of your way of getting all your mortgage news. Paul is not on the is not joining us today, but I'm on their website. I'm looking at what he put up. In a well-known first thing that Paul Morrill reported was that Barry Habib, Barry Habib, who many of you know, resigns from RFC. That's a news item. FHA lending uh, took a tumble in the fourth quarter. Wells ranked first and then Quicken second. That's some interesting article that George Brooks put up there. Also, Aquin still number one in the subprime servicing. Man, that subprime servicing hangs on, and it's amazing. And Aquin's a big amount of attention. He wrote about it there. Also, Home Street wants to buy a player in the jumbo space. So Home Street's out as a buyer. Put the word out through Brian and Eve, uh, Ivy about what's going on there. Also, consolidation ahead for the mortgage tech vendors, which is just never no end to the consolidation that we're starting to see there. So enough with that. That's Paul Mala's segment. So normally we would be uh, just getting some all this fun talk from Paul. And uh, sorry, but uh, at least did you see him on the – did he dial in? Alice, do you see him on the switchboard? I don't see him there, so I don't hear from you either. Anyway, let's continue on. I'm sorry, and, Frank, uh, Dave. I, did, I don't see him out there either. No, okay, good, good. You were muted out there. Well, very good. Well, let's get into your segment, Alice. Let's talk about what's going on. By the way, if you haven't checked out IMF News, www.imfnews.com, Paul Mollo, celebrity in the reporting world of everything mortgage. Appreciate him being with us and missing him on the broadcast today. Anyway, let's get on and talk about, Alice, what's everything that's going on in the regulatory world. Well, it's kind of crazy, as you all know, because uh, I, I, I think people are just still trying to make sure they've got a handle on QM. Uh, everybody's, you know, bombarding their loan origination software companies. We also mm-hmm. have that Humda reporting was due on Friday. And, of course, you know, I was at one company and they were – uh, had one of their divisions was only just now starting to work on filing the report. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Wondering why they why they couldn't get through to the help desk and get all that resolved. So, uh, you know, I know it, it happens Funny. all the time, right? You just go, "What yep. do you mean I I can't do this?" and speed read through it and just hit submit. We we so Humdo folks is a year long process. Um, you should expect that we're getting changes from the CFPB in the coming months. They have to finish their small business review panel inquiry first, and the list of questions they're going to ask the small re- uh, small business review panel are along the lines of how big of an effort do you think our proposed Humdo changes are going to be, and how much a, of a problem is this going to be for you? And hopefully, the small business review panel fires back and says, "This is crazy. This we've got too much going on. You've got to push this back." But Dot Frank says that uh, CFPB has to come up with these edits to Humda reporting. So everybody get themselves ready. Um, odds are, if this doesn't happen, especially till way into the year, it's going to. There's just not going to be any reasonable way. Of course, you know, you say that in the word regulation in one sentence, and people think you're crazy. But I'm going to hold out hope <laughs> that no reasonable regulator would require us to have all these new data in our 2014 files it would be for 2015 so we'll we'll wait and see on that but do expect in the coming months that we get our first draft of the humda proposed rule for how that reporting will be expanding um, we are watching still uh, the homeowner flood insurance affordability act as you know we had george uh Casimos on our show last uh, two weeks ago now right it was yeah. stop fema now uh, that george was a part of and the bigger waters act is having a big impact on the flood zone folks and there is legislation starting to move its way through uh, the Senate and the House. George believes it's nowhere near enough. It's just a Band-Aid, a typical kick the can down the road. So we're going to watch this for him and for all those folks out there who are in the flood areas, which is, I think, they estimate, there are millions of people who live in the flood zone. So uh, we'll watch that in the coming week. And then last but not least, I want to give everybody kind of our view on what we see happening in the QM world in the update and trying to update you all on what we're seeing uh, actually happening on boots on the ground. And we are seeing community banks 
still trying to struggle with how they structure their non-QM and are they going to be comfortable in that non-QM space. Dave, you and I uh, were sharing some thoughts on this a little bit on whether it's too yeah. dangerous to originate those loans. Um, so it is a very personal assessment for each individual community bank, and many of them are, are getting there slowly and dipping their toe in the water. Um, we, we still see plenty of differences in some of the fee interpretations for the three-point test. Uh, so if you have any questions, don't hesitate to give us a call. And we've also just rolled out new training uh, to help train originators, processors, and underwriters, your frontline staff on QM. So give us a call on Excellent. that as well. Good. That's my scoop so you're for rolling today, out Dave. new training. Excellent. That's, yeah, know. we have a quite a suite of new e-learning courses that are available now, and we're very excited. Um, ours are, we think, very well written and very well done. Obviously, we have new technology, and we're excited to roll them out to the industry now. Folks, you got to take advantage of these. These are great tools, and with costs down, e-learning is a very affordable solution for many out there. So that's good. Excellent, Alice. I can't wait to avail myself of some of that myself. Good to have you with us, listeners. Remember, we've got uh, you know just more. We got Paul Mollo is going to be coming up here in just a moment. Not Paul, excuse me, Tony Garitano. Excuse me, Tony. We've got Tony Garitano. Got some interesting things going on in the tech world, and I have some specific questions I want to drill in with the Tony the Tiger on technology. Anyway, we'll be right back after this brief break. Looking for a full-service mortgage training and consulting company to fit exactly what you need? Mortgage U is your ultimate education and information resource used by lenders to execute high-impact, high-quality training throughout the organization. Mortgage U instructors are mortgage professionals providing classroom and web-based delivery and has the most sought-after training manuals in the country. Mortgage U has a proven track record, performing customized training programs for hundreds and even thousands of employees both live and online on everything from applicants through loan delivery and insuring. Call Mortgage U today at 800-278-0200 or visit us online at mortgage-u.com. Welcome back to Lickin' on Lending. Our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here's David Lickin'. That is so funny. Someone's got their dog barking. <laughs> I did not get a dog bark. That's not, that not me. I was going to tease Andy and say, that's me. a profit doctor. That's a profit not doctor me. barking away. I know better, Dave, not great. me. <laughs> oh, that was hilarious. I just love it. Dude, a lot of us, I mean, especially when there's so much snow. I mean, I don't know if that's Tony. You don't have to admit it, Tony. But anyway, it's good to have you on the broadcast, Tony, and uh, just, Garitano, are you there, sir? I am here, Dave. Are you talking about my new puppy? I am oh, that your new puppy? How sweet. <laughs> oh, what did you get? We got um, we got an eleven week Maltese. Oh, um, that's right. You did oh, tell me you were going to be doing that. Oh, he so is the cutest little thing. He's he's been with us for a little mm-hmm. over two weeks now. Well, he made the and radio. He he totally thinks that he owns the. The, oh, the yeah. office, the, the house. Maltese will definitely <laughs> try to do that to you. Well, let's shift gears and go over to what, you know, they're talking about technology. We're doing a lot of assessment of what's going on with technology, Tony. And I was thinking about Tony the Tiger of technology. I thought that actually plays. It may stick here. Um, but really, I'm looking at the whole, everything that's going on in the technology sector. Never has there been so many challenges. I saw the front page of the National Mortgage News, Jonathan Core of uh, LD May uh, and Compass. There, it was on there talking about the requirements of larger lenders is making it more difficult to roll it out. I mean, it sounded like it just, I just caught it as I was heading out the door. But there's a lot going on. So Tony, here's you're, you're the you're the you're the oracle of everything that's technology wise. What does it take to have a thriving mortgage technology company these days, Tony? Well, a lot of patience. First off, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds um, like it from the article that Jonathan just was quoted on. Yeah, lots of patience. I, I think that you know there's just so much going on in in the space right now um, from a regulatory standpoint that. You know, in order to have a successful uh, technology company, you really have to have a pulse on uh, the compliance sector, you know, whether that be um, employing uh, a a compliance person or a compliance department. But um, it really has become, 
you know, a, almost a separate business that technology vendors have to get into um, in order to be viable. Because, I mean, if your lenders are not in compliance, oh yeah, you know, there go there goes there goes that sale for you. There goes that customer for you. If you're not doing your part. Um, you know, Not to mention problem. the litigation, the litigate, mm-hmm. the litigation risk that's out there. I mean, massive. Yeah, I think that, uh, and also vendors can be held accountable now for for their approach to compliance, as as we talk about third party vendor reviews and and how that's becoming more regulated as well, and how culpable the vendors are in the lending process themselves. No question that compliance is the biggest part of what they're doing, and they're now sitting there with a the bullseye on them as well. What does it take to be a real mortgage technology leader? So we found out what you know, it takes to thrive, but what does it take to be a leader, in your opinion, Tony? I think, you know, I was reading this article over the weekend about um, uh, what it takes to have a successful business, and, and they said that you have to have a good amount of what they call uh, playmakers, and hmm. what they, what they defined as as playmakers in this article is, you know, a group of people who are open minded and uh, really uh, thorough and thoughtful in their deliberations about you know what business moves they're going to make and where their industry is going in the future. And, and the bottom line was that. In order to be a thought leader, it's not about the company having this, you know, prolific CEO per se. It's about surrounding yourself by these uh, or with these uh, playmakers um, that can really help you, you know, as a company grow and move and be agile. So I think, you know, a thought leader. Uh, historically used to be, you know, one guy or, or one girl who was out there starting a company that had a real vision for the future. But I think if you want to be a thought leader now, you really need to surround yourself by a core group of people, you yes. know, that can help you along the way. And do the users play a role in that that core group? I mean, is it feedback? Uh, I was in at the Apple Store on Friday. I got some uh, training and some Final Cut Pro, and I was sitting there, and they they surrounded me. They came out and they said, "We hear some of the things you're doing with video." And uh, they came out and they made this comment that I thought was interesting. Now, this is the Apple folks at the Genius Bar, so these are the best of the best. And the the, the, the store manager came out and he goes, "You know, we learn more from our customers than we do from our own company on training." He said, it's really interesting. Does the customer feedback really play into this a lot? I would assume it would. It would have to. I think it it has to, Dave. I mean, I think, you know, if you remember back, uh, there were a lot of um, mortgage technology companies that came into the space who just had a cool piece of technology, but they didn't really have very much mortgage lending experience. Right. And, you know, that's when we saw the the dot-com boom and a lot of those companies um, you know, either took hold and learned the mortgage space or went out of business. I just don't think that there's room in the mortgage space now uh, for technology vendors that don't listen to their clients and that don't have a thorough understanding of mortgage lending. Totally makes sense. Tony, appreciate you taking time to be here with us. It's always a pleasure to have you on the broadcast, getting your insights of everything that's kind of going on out there in the mortgage world. If you have not connected with Tony, be sure to do so. Go to www.progressandlending.com. You can also pick up the phone, call Tony. You may even get the dog barking in the background. It's just, it just kind of makes it feel right at home there. 203-529-3131. 203-529-3131. Tony, again, thank you so much. Say hi to the dog. And uh, we look forward to hearing you and maybe him barking in the background next. <laughs> I'm going to tease you about that. Thank you for having me, Dave. It's always a pleasure. And, Boxy, also, the other, Tony has another publication that I think is just so innovative, and it's um, Lending Insights. Isn't that the, do I have that right, Tony? Lending Insights? Yep. Yeah, today's Lending Insights. Today's lending insight, very innovative. Again, the audio, the the recordings that he puts with it, it is. Go check it out, folks. It's it's progressive. Not surprising coming from the 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 
technology guy of the industry, the guru. So appreciate you very much, Tony. Have a great West. Uh, you got another blast of weather coming up your way too, don't you? My gosh, when is this weather I winter going to so. end? Yeah, I think it's by Friday. We're expecting another sizable storm. Well, it's cold down here in Texas, I want to tell you, but it'll be warm enough. We don't have to wait until spring. We're going to have it warm here just shortly. Thank you so much, Tony. Have a great rest of the week. See you back here next week. You too, Dave. Profit Doctor. Always fun to have the Profit Doctor. He makes house calls. Dave. He's out there a lot of time doing house calls, but he is with us in the house tonight. So the doctor's in the house. What do you got for us there? Well, you know, you were just talking about how cold it was here in Texas. And used to be I knew how cold it was every single day because I would get up and go outside barefooted to get the newspaper. But, you know, it's been a long time since I've done that. I don't get up and go outside to get the newspaper anymore until I get ready to go to work. But uh, interesting how technology has replaced um, how we yeah. do what we do. And uh, I actually don't even subscribe to the newspaper anymore. I hate to say I just check my check my phone for all the latest headlines. But uh, interesting evolution that we're seeing in the way that information is communicated and that that transition that we're seeing in how things are communicated is spreading throughout the industry. And yeah. one of the areas that Tony just mentioned about the third-party vendor management in the technology world and um, how do we how do we communicate to the regulators, the CFPB, that we've done the things that we need to do? Because the regulators and that, a lot of people there. don't even know that they need to, but that that is an absolute requirement. Good. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. Yeah, exactly. We have we have to communicate with our regulators in a way that they are um, they understand what we're saying and they believe what we're saying, and we have credibility with them so that they have confidence in our ability to manage our business in a way that, first, protects the consumer, and, two, by following all the consumer protection laws, and, three, by making certain that you are checking all the regulatory boxes, and, four, by being profitable and staying in business. Now, obviously, that staying profitable, being profitable and staying in business is probably number one for all of us, but it's not for the regulators. Compliance with the rules and protecting the consumer is more important than if you stay in business or not. So we've worked with a lot of um, commercial banks through the years, and one of the key elements of commercial bank management is having a very positive relationship with your regulator. That's one of the one of the check marks when you're going through a merger and acquisition assessment is what's the regulatory relationship like between the president and the board of the bank and the regulators? And we're starting to have to ask that question now for mortgage banks as well. You know the CFPB comes swooping in and does does what they do, but how do you how do you engage with them? How do you interact with them? How do you communicate with them? How do you keep them proactively involved in your business? And so, one of the things that I wanted to zoom in on today, Dave, and feel free to interject any time here. <laughs> I will. And, going and, well. And, and that is about um, profit management in a world of compliance oversight. Wow, because, big topic. Big yeah, topic. Profit management in a world of compliance oversight. We, we've been talking more and more about the essential compliance aspects we have in order to avoid being sued by the CFPB, going to jail, all these bad things that happen. And at the same time, we all hear these this noise in our the back of our head, and we hear this rattling of chains out in the backyard of you know the CFPB is coming, the CFPB is coming, and like you feel like the Christmas carol, one of the ghosts is at your door. <laughs> yeah. And, and at the same yeah. time though, we gotta stay in business. We gotta make we gotta make decisions every single day that affect our profitability. We we agree to give lender concessions, we agree to give price concessions on rate, we agree to I mean do all kinds of stuff. Uh, mortgage banking is all about velocity. It's about doing everything right the first time and doing it very, very quickly. And it's all about efficiency and, and velocity. And so when we when we start having the conflict between profit management and com and compliance uh, oversight, wh who wins and how do you decide and how do you make certain that in this world of compliance oversight that you're still profitable? And we're seeing two reactions to this, and I wanted to talk about those just real briefly. 
Because when you when you have a when you when you're in a world of compliance oversight, one path that we're hearing people take is, well, I'm just not going to do it. It's just like I'm going to take my ball and go home. I just don't care what the CFPB yep. says. Yeah. I'm they can't put me out of business. I'm not going to lose money doing this stuff. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah, they and, have, they, 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 the know, old concept of too small to comply, rather than too big to fail. Now we got the too small to comply. Exactly, exactly. And there's a number of publications from the CFPB that would debunk that perspective pretty pretty quickly, frankly. But yes. the, <laughs> it's, it's kind of like, you know, if you have that perspective, it's like you went to your favorite Mexican restaurant and had uh, uh, enchiladas and salsa for lunch, and you came home and you got red salsa dots spilled on your shirt, but it's really not, not salsa. What it is is it's a laser beam. It's a laser sight from the CFPB sniper with the target on your chest. Ooh. Because that kind of that kind of mentality of I don't care what they say, I'm just gonna do it my way anyway, is you're gonna end up with a bullseye on your chest. Little little dots of salsa are really the, the CFPB snipers with their sights on you. So that that's a very short sighted perspective. And flagrantly non compliance can end up with substantial fines and even potentially jail, depending upon the egregious nature of the act. And one of the things that one of the things that we've seen in uh, commercial bank noncompliance is um, flagrant noncompliance is certainly the worst, and that can end up in, in jail and then uh, fines and everything else. So, so we don't want to do that. So what we've got to figure out a way to do is to be profitable in the world of high compliance. So one of the paths to do this is if you're in an environment where you can't be profitable or you don't think you can be profitable and comply – then give us a call, let us get involved, let us model your business and figure out how we can come up with a way of either making more money, reducing expenses, uh, complying in a way that's more profitable, because you, you have a decision to make. You either, and, and here's kind of the bottom line, and this, is, this can be an unpleasant perspective, but it's better to shut your business down than to go to jail. And if that's the decision you're on, then you're, you're better off shutting down your business, merging it with somebody else, selling it, doing something. It's better to do that than go to jail. So flagrant noncompliance will end up with really bad things happening. So let's not do that. Let's be proactive. Let's model the business. Let's understand the dynamics. Let's, you know, let's implement efficiencies. Let's make things run more smoothly. Let's see if we can't do sales training so that the team is not selling price, they're selling service, and we can increase our margin by uh, 20 basis points, which makes the difference to then cover the compliance costs. So we've got to look at all these elements to it. So really what I wanted people to think about in the world of profit management, profit management in the world of compliance oversight is, <coughs> excuse me, Dave, let's model the outcome. <clears throat> model model the, outcome. the outcome and predict predict the financial outcome. Don't just guess. Don't just wait till you get to the end of the month and, oh, my gosh, I lost money again. Model it, anticipate it, predict it, create efficiencies, and this is what we're all about. Licking on lending is not all about selling stuff. It's about you being better and the listeners being better in managing exactly their right. business, and we want to help you comply. Achieve just and that, yeah. Exactly. Be be profitable in the world of compliance oversight, and that's where we got to get to. Got to get there, and many people are just whistling by the graveyard, and I tell you, there is there is a boogeyman. It's, it's going to come out and get you. I hate to do that. I like that laser pointer. It's not a salsa spot. It is a laser pointer, folks. That's good stuff, Andy. Appreciate you being here with us, bringing that uh, alert to us. It's like a, not the, one of the most pleasant things you want to always think about, but it's a reality, and uh, folks don't buy into the conception that you're too small to comply. That is not the view of CFPB. If you want to get a hold of Andy, stay tuned, listen to this ad, and we'll be right back after this break. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 
combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New Warehouse Lines of Credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Good to have you with us, everybody. I'm excited about the topic of leadership. I write a lot about it. And by the way, if you haven't caught some of the articles, I write each month a Licking on Leadership topic at uh, for National Mortgage Professional. And you can go check that out. I get so many emails each week or each month and almost a weekly basis on those that have read the article and uh, that I write. And it, it's just uh, it's, we're, we're trying to drive this whole topic of leadership like Andy was just talking about, you know, the importance of leadership and you running your business differently. Well, we've got two special guests with us today, Gregory Gregg and Scott Valby of Houston, Texas. Both are long-term friends of our firm. And we're excited to have them here with us. Uh, I just want to make sure both of you are on the line and we have your mics turned on and you're hot. Uh, I'm here. Good. Uh, Dave, I'm here. Greg? Good, good. Yes, nice Greg. to see a retired yeah. guy can get the mute button off. I'm just going to tease you a little bit, Greg. He's, he's achieved the enviable job of retiring. Talk about it here in July 1993. Greg and Scott merged their two firms together. And they, uh, they brought these two individual law practices together and created Greg and Valby. And it's a nationally known firm. It traces back their history back to 1977. Greg, now that's got to be you. Scott's, I don't think Scott's that old, is he? Oh, no. He's a youngster compared to myself. He's just a pup but, uh, compared to the rest of us. He's, yep, he's, yep, yep. he's, he's great. <laughs> well, you currently, that you guys have done, built a outstanding business. You now represent over a 500. I mean, a hundred financial institutions and independent mortgage bankers. And here's the part that just blew me away. I did not realize it when I was going through your information. You have generated over one million set of mortgage closing docs in the last 20 years. I haven't done the math on that, but we'll let the profit doctor do that on the sideline. But that's like how many sets of docs. If you have 52 weeks in a year and you have so many... And what is that, Andy? You have to do the word math on that. But, Greg, I know you retired in 2011, and Scott continues to manage the firm with nine attorneys and more than 35 staff, and you're going into many, many directions. And we'll get into some of that. The reason I've asked folks, them to come on the program, is that over their 20-year history, they've seen their share of ups and downs. They're seeing what, and have experienced what many of you are going through. I've asked them to share the keys to their success and allow uh, them to over. Why would, I mean, what's what's caused them to overcome their differences? I mean, very different personalities you'll hear, and also developed an outrageously successful law firm and practice. So, both good to have you both here with us on the broadcast. We've got 20 minutes to just sit and listen and drink from your fountain of knowledge and experience. So, I'm going to start with you, Scott. Um, what is the, in your perspective, what is the secret to Greg and Valby's success? And did leadership play a role in that success? Well, Dave, first of all, thanks so much for having us on. We we appreciate the opportunity, and, and knowing all that you've written on leadership, I almost feel like I should be interviewing you rather than the other way around. Um, but you know, we, we we have been we have been very fortunate, and um, you know, like with any success, I, I think the biggest factor is the grace of God and. And we've just been, um, you know, very blessed over the years to uh, to survive the ups and downs. And I think um, part of that, at least speaking for myself, I've been tremendously blessed to have spent 18 years with what I think is the best partner anybody could have. Uh, Greg has just been a great example of a leader for all of those years. And, and from the time I first walked in the door back in July 93, uh, he just made every relationship he had available to me and uh, every client relationship, every personal relationship, and just to be partnered up with someone that was uh, very unselfish from the first day and did everything he could to help me integrate myself into the practice and to you know, build on the, the substantial contacts that I had. So I think it, it um, a lot of our success really is attributable to you know, having the right people in place. And, and just Greg is a great example of a leader and, and just uh, set a wonderful tone for me and how he treated yeah. me as a young partner. 
Well, you know, though, and I'm going to get to Andy here in just a minute, but you two have very different personalities. Andy and I have very different personalities. Now, we're very close friends as well as business partners, but the two of you have very, very different personalities. That can create an opportunity for conflict and or complement each other. So how did the two of you find that balance? And if you could kind of relate to that, because many, some of the best partners, opposites attract, whether it be a marriage, sometimes a business partners, ships. I mean, those those are unique things, but also there's some unique dynamics. Share with our listeners a little bit from your perspective, and I'm going to turn the mic over to Andy for asking Greg some questions. Oh, okay. From from my perspective, um, yeah, a lot has been said about the fact that Greg and I are very, very different. Um, and certainly he's 12 years older than I am, and and maybe he was a, a little wilder in his youth than I was, and certainly your partner Chuck <laughs> Klein has known Greg ten years longer than I have. But um, uh, we are very different. But I think that we share uh, the same values and principles. And, and the good. thing yeah. that really linked us is the fact that we really wanted to build something. We didn't want to be the biggest at what we did, but we always wanted to be the best. And and for us, we shared that common value of customer uh-huh. service and quality control. That's what I think we were known for, and I think those those common values is what it was was far more important than than just different activities or backgrounds or personalities, et cetera. Because we had a lot to rally around with those values. Yeah, you know what? That's what something Andy and I talk about all the time, and we that's how we explain that. We are, when you how can you explain a Chuck Klein's personality and Andy Shell's personality, David Lincoln's personality, working there? It, it you really have to connect at the values. So the first takeaway out of this interview is the number one folks examine what you value if there's not agreement in the values that you espouse or that you have you're going to see separation you're going to see for whatever reason people going different directions andy yes thanks dave and and greg and scott thank you so much for being on licking on lending today i have a question over to you greg great seeing you about a month ago there with uh, mitch's wedding um it, it says here in the notes that you started your own firm when you were just a young man in your early 30s. And so thinking back to that time and, and in the context of our subject today on, on leadership, what was going through your mind at that time, and what did you hope to accomplish when you started your firm at such a young age? Well, Andy, it's it's really interesting. It's been a tremendous ride, let's put it this way. And... Um, like anybody else, you graduate from law school. Uh, that just means you get a ticket on the wall and you're a lawyer, but what do I do with it? Uh, when I first got out, I was fortunate enough to uh, go to work for the county attorney's office as an assistant county attorney and for about eight years, And which for a leadership standpoint, you, you learn what is an office, how do you open a file, what, what's happening here, and things like that. So you're totally ignorant, but you learn fast. And the parts that I would pick up, anything that would do with, with uh, a real estate lawyer would be, of course, we ha- I handle condemnation and, uh, you know, running freeways through everywhere and, and, and various and sundry things. And, but the knowledge I learned just being in an office, even though I was not the owner of the office or running it, I learned a tremendous amount. And, uh, I was there for about eight years and then left and went to uh, um, talk with my wife. My wife, I fortunately have a beautiful wife, and she was a flight attendant. And You know, kind of the dream of every young man is to marry a flight attendant, and I got lucky and did. Uh, <laughs> but she was bringing in more money than I was, you know what I'm saying? So you start off and uh, looked at the amount of retirement savings I had when I left the county, and how much she was uh, making and had in her retirement and sat down at the dinner table one night and said, my goodness, you know, I could probably go a whole year without making a penny and, uh, you know, we can live off of our savings. And, of course, I said, if I go that long without making money, I need to be out there uh, doing uh, selling shoes or something because this isn't going to work. But trying to fast forward here a little bit is when I got into it, I was doing everything from divorces to wills to just trying to get a practice started. And I was lucky enough to run into a good friend in the um, uh, was a loan officer for a mortgage company. And he said he did, wasn't having trouble with his law firm, you know, and he wants to take on other law firms. And 
Uh, and anyhow, he told me the whole history. What do the lawyers do? And I, you know, draw the papers. And, and I said, well, what did they do then? He says, well, well, they send a bill to the table, the closing table. And uh, then uh, I said, then well, how do you get paid? And he says, well, it's real simple. The title company collects all the money for you. You know what I'm saying? And send you a bill. I said, a built-in bill collector? My goodness, that's good. What's the worst thing in any business is cash flow and, and finding out whether your client's going to pay you. So um, what I did was uh, come up and, and, and just say, hey, this looks good. And at this particular time, I hadn't even bought a home. I obviously was law school, went to Baylor Law School. I took two, two semesters of real estate. I know what a note was. I know what a lien was and all those properties, but I'd actually never seen one of them physically. So it was a learning process when I, you know, you say, well, what if the title company ran off with the money? Well, you just file a deal with the bankrupt, I mean, the receiver, and they'll pay you. So I said, okay, that part's all good. And the rest of it was just kind of a learning process. And uh, I have a gift to gab. Uh, I had probably one of the best teachers in my life, which was not another attorney, but it was my father. And he was a... Oh, gosh, a jack-of-all-trades, but mostly a salesman, sold everything from I love some of the stories. Yeah, life I insurance I love some of the stories to, uh, you told at the wedding we were at together on your dad. Yeah, that, that was yeah. really special. Well, but he, he told me, he learned, learned a couple things. And, you know, and these are parts of, uh, of, of the equation. He says, son, he says, look, what you got out there is two things. You got three things to sell. First of all, you need to sell yourself. If you can sell yourself, that means they like you, you're personable, and you're talking a big game about how you're going to be able to back up the product and everything. He says, second, you've got to have a back room. Even though you're not running it, you're out there in the field, you know, bringing the orders in. You've got to make sure that if I sold this product, you know, that the people in the policy department get it together and get it shipped out to the people who got the insurance. He says, thirdly, your integrity is worth more than anything else. And the best way you find your integrity, you can find what your peers think of you. And that always brings up the question of competition. I've always said over the years, uh, Scott and I and visited just uh, even as a solo practitioner, never overestimate nor underestimate your competition, but always keep your nose to the ground on what they're doing. You know, does it make sense? If it makes sense, well, then you start doing it yourself and do it better. Or when you come up with something and they come in and do the same thing, well, then you attempt to do it better. But well, let's, uh, let's fast forward just a little bit there, Craig, and, and uh, if you wouldn't mind, tell me about how you and Scott teamed up. I know you started in the mortgage note business, I guess, in the late 70s and then hooked up with Scott in the 90, around 93. Um, I'm going to ask you this last question and then hand the mic over to Alice for her to then follow up more with Scott, but... If you wouldn't mind, tell, tell me about how you and Scott teamed up together. Well, that's that's very simple and somewhat complicated. As I was doing this for about 25 years, you know, as a solo practitioner with a phenomenal staff, and that's another key to to leadership is, is you're only as good as your back room. Is a phrase mm-hmm. that's always got. We had a big thing in our. Uh, coffee room on that. You're only as good as your last set of documents you send to the closing table. So with that as a motive, you know, you come in, but I was getting a little bit older. You know, a lot of people that I would woo would, uh, as clients would be branch managers in the 35, 40-year-old range, and here you're moving up in your, you know, late 50s and 60s, and yeah, you like to go out and entertain them, but your your energy levels and your body's ability to keep up with it <laughs> and just you are a little older than the younger crowd. So I got to saying, well, I could just stay in this business and let the faucet drip dry, or I can go out there and bring on another partner and uh, go from there. And I was watching people in the industry and picking up. And uh, Scott, uh, at the time, back in 93, was it Scott? Uh, we... Um, I'd watched him uh, when you go out in internet, you know, um, network, you know, and we were out at a golf, uh, uh, the Houston Mortgage Bankers Golf Convention, I mean, annual golf tournament. And I just was over there, you know, kind of watched the competition, and 
I knew he worked for a competitor, and I just was listening to him. But man, he'd get right in people's faces, and he he's a, a, he bet that first thing, you know, being able to sell himself. And I said, I just kind of watched him, and I still hadn't made up my mind. And you know, a little bit later, I heard, hey, Scott went out and uh, started up his own firm. And I said, well, hey, I like that. That's got the big word I call ambition. You know, and the third thing that kind of brought it home was he took one of my clients away from me. (laughs) (laughs) I said, hey, now, don't overestimate or underestimate your competition. (laughs) So I called him up. I said, let's talk. You know what I'm saying? I said, I've got uh, existing practice with a lot of people. Scott also had a... He had a whole different range. He he was with uh, did a lot of work for North American Mortgage in its heyday, and uh, did you know? So he had a bunch of customers that I never had any ends with. You know what I'm saying? You can't get them all. You know that's yeah. what competition's about. But you try. Um, so once we got together, you're right. Personality. Scott is not subdued. I think you could say I was an extrovert. He's more of an introvert, but not he's not shy. But it's I like no. to sit at the bar, have a couple of drinks, and you know how, how are the kids and what's going on. And by the way, who's doing your docs? <laughs> and pick up from there. Well, the thing was, you know, you're always a little worried, whatever it was. But he came in, I mean, just running. And he had brought these counts, and and he had. Turns out that he knew a lot level higher than I did. He was dealing a lot with the CEOs and the stuff of some of these companies working on major regulatory issues and things of that nature and was in a different fold and had a different uh, line of customer. And you know what I'm saying? Or he was dealing at a different level. So anyhow, I think it's kind of the rest is history. When we came in, you know, I'm uh, Andy will appreciate it. I'm a bean counter. I mean, I, Tell you how many paper clips we bought in the last three months, and and that was because I was a solo practitioner, you know, and I had to go off, do the marketing, do the back room, the do the product, do the uh, lawyering, you know, and do all of it. And you know that was kind of wearing me down, and it was great from one standpoint. All those other people you'd have working for you, you got all the money in your own, you get the money in your pocket, but you can't do that. Scott and I, we hit it off, and I'm not saying there but he could see where I was coming from I could see where he was coming from and just said um, you know Scott I'm not going to be doing this forever and uh, we put together a um, um, and that's another wonderful thing and I'm not going to talk too much about this but every time I said I was always making a change to the document and so uh, he came up and would say uh, okay but I said, man, he got them right to me so quick. So I said, finally, I said, let's just do it. Okay. And the next thing we know, 19, how many, 20 years later now, Scott, um, I've been. So um, does that answer your question, yeah. Andy? Absolutely. Thank you very much, Greg. Yeah, it's good It's good to figure out where you're at. We were going to get Alice in here, but Alice's email is down, so I emailed her a bunch of questions again to kind of prime the pump so she could get into it. Uh, Alice, any questions that come to mind right away as you're thinking? Otherwise, I'll just continue right on here. Well, I guess, you know, I'm just enjoying listening to the story, and, you know, having been through different mergers in my life, I can relate to, you know, the challenge of moving from being an individual to now uh, finding a good yeah. a good business partner. So what would advice would you give to folks right now who are really looking at, you know, as Andy said, I might have to make a change in my business, and I'm not sure I want to do that. I Maybe I'm on my own. You know, what are yeah, the things you would question. recommend that they look for in a business partner since yours has been so successful? Let's start with well, you, Scott. Oh, I'm or, sorry. No, no, Scott, no, go ahead, Greg. You started going. Go ahead, finish, Greg. Then um, Scott gets his. Okay. Um, no, um, I, thank you, Alice. Um, I think while many people believe that leadership emanates from the top of an organization and influences the organizations it filters down, I think one of the things that, that Greg and I believe is that leadership exists in all areas of the company through the individual dedication and collective effort. And it's, it, it's evident by the, the various means that, that coworkers manage, motivate, inspire those around them. And I think it's very uh, similar to what Tony was saying earlier when he was talking about thought leaders or, or 
leaders, if you will, and playmakers. And I think one of the things that's really helped us to be successful is it's not just the, the two guys whose name's on the door. And as, as we market, we talk about all of those people whose names are on the door, all nice, very well-intentioned, well-educated, bright. But the real difference in organizations it lies with the folks that are behind the scenes. You know, the back room, as Greg talks right. about. And I think that's where we've been very fortunate that we've got many people that have been here for uh, more than 10 years, probably almost 20 of them, other people that, that we've known for 20 or 30 years. And so it's a great family organization, and if you can build something like that or surround yourself with people that they are passionate about what they do, they're they're actually the ones that are that are leading from from throughout the organization. You know the playmakers, as Tony was talking about before. Yeah. And we've been very fortunate to have those, and it's just creating a culture of um, you know putting the customers first, the the coworkers second, the uh, the company third, and, and just trying to do your best each and every day to serve your customers. That's to me that's the recipe for success. Well, let's go to that for a quick second because I think, Alice, by the way, you didn't get the notes, but you were right down the lines of what we were, you were supposed to ask right at that point at what we had assigned you. Uh, here's the question I have. A lot of people struggle with hiring the right people. That is, that's easier said than done. Real quick, what are the key things that you look for when hiring success, you know, people that have turned out to be there for 10 and 20 years that, that have been really there to support your organization? Um. I think number one, I look for great attitude. Um, you know, you can be smart, and but that doesn't mean you have a great attitude. If you have a great attitude, you can certainly learn things. So I look for attitude, uh, character, uh, integrity, um, passion, and when possible, experience. Uh, and I might add something there. I was going to say, please quick. jump in, Greg. Um, you know, the thing on employees overall, and, and, and they, this is kind of speaking as a wise old owl at 70 years old and starting it at 35, that that the best thing anybody can do if they're starting a business or their one-man operation is go out and find a operations manager. They don't yeah. necessarily have to be a person. That, that preferably, if they know the mortgage business, that helps. But somebody who can control your staff, while you're not there, you know what I'm saying, when you're one person, yep. that you know when you leave and you've got to go up to Dallas, you know, to sign up a new account or try to get a new account or go up there because there's some problems with an existing account, and then you know you can do it, especially on that. That person can be a key, or persons, plural, depending on your size, uh, can be a key to it. But when it came to employees and hiring and finding, I've always been a person who... I'll pat on the back, you know what I'm saying, and great yeah. job. But my, I don't know whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, and different people do it, I pat the pocketbook. I mean, those people are there. Uh, we would bring in for years and did it. Dinner, if we're working at 10, 11 o'clock at night, it's the end of the month, you know what's going on. Feed here the comes people, the yeah. pizzas, here comes the hamburgers, uh, here comes the cafeteria delivering this and that. And those are little things. But, you know, they're staying over. They're working, you know what I'm saying? They're sitting there right, your business, typing, yeah. typing with one hand and eating the burger with the other. But that was a good thing. And then, then the classics, you know, giving, having a good bonus program, uh, which is and then a merit raises as people go. And then, you know, you'll find those that will stick and those that won't. But I think it's, it's the atmosphere around here, and that's hard to explain unless you're here, that people feel comfortable. They know that while there's been ups and downs in this business and people have come and go, and like I joke a little bit about mortgage lenders, I said in the early days, you know, I used to be, know all the teams and, and try to keep track of the players. And later on, as we went through, I knew all the players and was losing track of the teams because they were moving around <laughs> to different companies. So, yep. uh, but you look at Scott and I as, as a law firm in existence for 35 years, specializing in one thing, and that's document preparation, regulatory yep. compliance, and keeping our lenders abreast of what's going on. So I can it go is. into the days and tell you when, when RESPA and Truth and Lending started back in 69, you know, and all those things, 
and that lay the paper, level paper of work on you, maybe five, six extra disclosure documents. You know, well, now today we're going to put Dodd yeah. stuff on top of it. You're going to have yep. 70 ready. So, I like uh, it. it we're just running. I'm looking at the clock, and I don't want you to get just dropped okay. rudely right off the program, Greg. We're literally down to seconds left. Oh, I'm one sorry. One of my client's sorry. favorite sentence, that's, he says, Greg's my name, Doc's my game. And he said, that's <laughs> just... You knew what you did. You knew what you did well. I think that's another key to success. I want to thank the both of you. We could go on with this conversation for a very, very long time. I want to say thank you to both of you for taking moments out of your uh, busy days to come in and share some of these principles that have made you guys so successful. Have a great rest of the week. Listeners, I want to say thank you for tuning in. Thank you for having us. It's good to have you guys. I'd love to continue this one on. I just want to hit record and keep on going, but we're out of time. Folks, be sure to come back here next week. We've got a very exciting program again. Did we just guest after guest? Great stuff. Be sure to come back here. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks, David. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys.